Chapter 1. Guilt, New York City, New York Survival's guilt is what you have when, by chance, you avoid the suffering of those around you. In the summer of 1930, not so long after the stock market crash of 1929, my family drove to our summer place in the Adirondacks, near the summer homesteads of our family friends in the Adirondacks. Unlike the family friends, we never made it to our summer place in the Adirondacks, or out of New York City. A truck, riding on bald tires, had an explosive flat that spun the truck, toppling it onto our motor car. My parents up front were killed instantly. My younger sister, just blossoming, lingered in the hospital for several days, never regaining consciousness. I, the furthest from the truck, survived without a scratch, but deeply scarred. I'd always hated the summers in the Adirondacks, where we children seemed forced to play endless games of badminton for the amusement of the adults. When I could get away unnoticed, I would head straight for the workshop of the local handyman. He was a tall, lean, pipe-smoking man who thought conversation was a waste of good spit. Instead, his well-muscled fingers guided mine in the use of his tools. After several years of his tutelage, I went to my parents and insisted that I be allowed to set up a woodworking shop in the basement of our downtown mansion. Mother was disgusted, but father was charmed. Boys will be boys, and I was showing manliness in his eyes. I'd always hated my parents. Father was a pretentious robber baron and mother was his exotic European wife. They were ideally suited to one another. Father had the money gene and mother had European sophistication, having been born in Switzerland and growing up speaking several languages. I had tried to make an ally of my sister, but she never understood that the source of our family money was based on the enforced poverty of the working class. Perhaps by now you've misunderstood me. My survivor's guilt was not from surviving the car crash. It was surviving the Great Depression with deep pockets. I sold the place in the Adirondacks to a nouveau riche Jewish family, thereby devaluing the surrounding properties to practically nothing. Property values resurfaced when the neighbors banded together to buy the place back for twice what the Jewish family had paid for it. They used the extra money to bring over more cousins from Poland. Win-win. I never wanted to see that place again. That fall, I was scheduled for another dreary year at Princeton University in nearby New Jersey. Father had gone there, so there was never any doubt of my attendance as well. I had no better plan. My emotions were as dead as my family. I went back to Princeton, plodding through another year of lackluster scholastic performance. I declared a major in economics, while stubbornly refusing to understand the way money ebbed and flowed. When summer freed the Princetonians, I did go to the Adirondacks but not to play badminton. I went straight to my handy mentor and asked for a summer job. He pulled on his pipe and then nodded, resuming his planing. I slept on a cot in the back of the workshop, sleeping deeply from the smell of fresh wood shavings and tongue oil. Being a handyman hadn't paid all the bills. He made fine furniture too, selling it to his captive audience of clients, the Adirondites who wouldn't dare stray beyond their familiar perimeter. In the fall, I began my senior year at Princeton. It was entirely economics classes and a thesis. After years of floundering, I longed for my degree and my release from scholastic bondage. Finally, on graduation day, I was handed my diploma, seeing my name, Jackson Ferry, in fancy old English script on the vellum certificate. Why Jackson? Why not? Ferry was the anglicized version of the family's original French name of Ferriers, vaguely meaning ironworkers. I can still hear my mother and father finishing each other's sentences saying, Jackson, you've made us proud. 
I wish the reverse had also been true. The Swiss bank that was managing my money was doing a splendid job. For all my interest in economics, I couldn't have cared less how they were doing it. All that mattered now was my restlessness to get on with my life. It was 1932, and school was out for good. I bought myself a new Ford Woody, a large station wagon with wood side panels and a V8 engine. In it, I threw my hand tools and as many wood scraps as I could fit, along with some basic camping and fishing gear. I packed a duffel bag full of work clothes and work boots. Then I found the recently christened Route 1, the route that would take me as far south as the Florida Keys if I cared to go there. And that's how I became Jake Ferry, a depression carpenter.